1 Samuel 23. Now they told David, Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But David's men said to him, Behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord again, and the Lord answered him, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines and brought away their livestock and struck them with a great blow. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. When Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, had fled to David to Keilah, he had come down with an ephod in his hand. Now it was told Saul that David had come to Keilah, and Saul said, God has given him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering the town at his gates and bars. And Saul summoned all the people to war, to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. And David knew that Saul was plotting harm against him, and he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring the ephod here. And David said, O Lord, the God of Israel, your servant has surely heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city on my account. Will the men of Keilah surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord, the God of Israel, please tell your servant. And the Lord said, He will come down. And David said, Will the men of Keilah surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, They will surrender you. Then David and his men, who were about six hundred, arose and departed from Keilah, and they went wherever they could go. When Saul was told that David had escaped from Keilah, he gave up the expedition. And David remained in the strongholds in the wilderness and the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph, and Saul sought him every day. But God did not give him into his hand. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horesh. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows that. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Horesh, and Jonathan went home. Then the Ziphites went up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is not David hiding among us in the strongholds at Horesh, on the hill of Hakilah, which is south of Jeshimon? They come down, O king, according to all your heart's desire to come down, and our part shall be to surrender him into the king's hand. And Saul said, May you be blessed by the Lord, for you have had compassion on me. Go, make yet more sure. Know and see the place where his food is, and who has seen him there. For it is told me that he is very cunning. See therefore and take note of all the lurking places where he hides, and come back to me with sure information. Then I will go with you, and if he is in the land, I will search him out among all the thousands of Judah. And they arose. And went as if ahead of Saul. 
Only David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon, in the Arabah, to the south of Jeshimon. And Saul and his men went to seek him, and David was told, so he went down to the rock and lived in the wilderness of Maon. And when, Saul heard that he pers- and when Saul heard that, he pursued after David in the wilderness of Maon. Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David and, on, and his men on the other side of the mountain. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul. As Saul and his men were closing in on David and his men to capture them, a messenger came to Saul, saying, Hurry and come, for the Philistines have made a raid against the land. So Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. Therefore, that place was called the Rock of Escape. And David went up from there and lived in the strongholds of En Gedi. Amen. And we thank God for his word. The story goes that Julius Caesar was once told that he had to beware the Ides of March. He had to beware the middle of March. He had to beware that point because something bad potentially was going to happen. But Caesar was a big lad, uh, the big lad in the big picture, you might want to say if you're quoting my mother. Caesar was confident in himself. Caesar thought he was uh, beyond the reach of his enemies. And so the story goes that that Caesar on the Ides of March took a wee stroll down into Rome, down to the Senate courts, no guards, no nothing. Off he went, because after all, he was Julius Caesar. What happened? He was brutally attacked, murdered, stabbed to death, and his body was left lying there, allegedly for days, just lying there. And the people celebrated, or some of them did anyway, that this great dictator had been murdered. Folks, sometimes... As they say, pride comes before a fall. Sometimes we're warned and we don't listen to the warning. Sometimes we're filled with our self-importance and self-confidence and then we trip and stumble and fall flat on our face. But not when it comes to 1 Samuel chapter 23. See, tonight I'm not going to warn you against the Ides of March. None of you look tonight that you were stabbed to death in the middle of the month. I'm not going to warn you about next month or tomorrow or anything else because tonight I want to express to you from this passage the absolute confidence that we can have in our Savior. It is, as we have just sung, give us confidence to know our hope is secure in you and let your priestly blessings flow through all eternity. That is our confidence. That is our hope, no matter whatever it is that we face. See, most of us probably don't have to worry about being stabbed to death tomorrow in the office or in the the school playground or wherever it might be. We're not Julius Caesar, and we never will be. But most of us probably at some point in our lives will understand what it is to, to experience a point where we feel that there are many situations that are out of our control, many people that perhaps do not have our best interests at heart, many individuals who are perhaps out to get us, And when new situations come, what do we do? How do we stand? Where do we go? What do we say? What do we think? Do we just car away? Well, not according to 1 Samuel 23. See, a few weeks ago when we were here, we expressed just how utterly brutal that passage was. That Saul goes and kills all around him. And I have heard, as many of you will have, that a poor Saul he was hard done by. 
uh, you know, the Lord just departs from him and David is due to take over. And, and maybe there's a wee part of us that feels a wee bit sorry for Saul. But I think if we do feel sorry for Saul, it's because maybe we haven't considered the story since our Sunday school days. And when you read a passage like 1 Samuel 22, where you see Saul in all his anti-Christian brutality, there's no room anymore to feel sorry for him. In that passage, he, he calls Ahimelech, the priest, to, to speak to him. And he asks Ahimelech whether he has ministered to David or not. And Ahimelech answers, I, I've prayed for, before for David. I've interceded uh, before God again, before David. Is today the first time that I've inquired of God for him? No. Let not the king impute anything to his servant or to all the house of my father, for your servant has known nothing of all of this, much or little. And so Ahimelech says, you know, yes, I inquired of the Lord for David. I've done that before. I'll do it again. Don't punish us for that, king. Please don't. Don't, don't destroy us for that. And what is Saul's response in verse 16 of chapter 22? You shall surely die, Ahimelech you and all your father's house. To make matters worse, Saul doesn't even listen to his servants who, who refuse to kill the priests. It's left to a foreigner, to a blowing, to a man called Doeg the Edomite. And he is the one who turns and strikes down the priests. The blood of God's priests flows in the streets of the city of Nod. But even in the face of such brutality and even in the face of such anti-Christian behavior, David in the very next chapter stands up under the burden. And so my brothers and sisters, I want you to be very personal tonight. Maybe you're living the dream. That's something I always ask people, are you living the dream? And everybody always says, yes, I'm living the dream. And if I asked you that on the way out tonight, probably you would say, absolutely, Scott, I'm living the dream. But enough of that any nonsense. Let me ask you personally, really, really, are you, you living the dream? Is everything in your life the way it should be? Is every situation in your life the way it should be? Are you entirely happy in every circumstance in your life? Are things in your family the way they should be? Are things in the workplace the way they should be? Are you going to go and climb into your bed tonight? It's about 10 o'clock, but you won't sleep to the middle of the night, if at all. And why not? Because you're worrying. You're stressed about, about your health. You're worrying about the situations that you face. You're concerned about your son, uh, who is a wee bit wayward. Your, your daughter, well, she's making stupid decisions, and you're, you're concerned about her. And, and, and you just don't know where to turn, and, and you put on a brave face when you come here, and you're not sure that God is going to listen to you. Well, my friends, if that is you, then this passage is for you. What do we do as Christians when we are faced with the ugliness of Antichrist? What do we do when it seems that we are under pressure from all sides? What do we do when it seems that we have nowhere to turn? I think we look on to God. They told David, as this chapter begins, Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and are robbing the threshing floor. What does David do? Verse 2 tells us, Therefore David inquired of the Lord. And that in itself should cause you to stop and pause because it's the very thing that Saul 
would not do or, or he believed that he could not do. No one was speaking to him anymore. No one was, was inquiring of the Lord on his behalf. And what does he do to fix it? Well, he kills all the priests. He's lost it completely. But what does David do? He hears that the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and they're robbing all the food. What does David do? He inquires of the Lord. He speaks directly unto the Lord. He, he says, shall I go and attack these Philistines? And I love the simplicity of this passage because verse 2, David asks, and in verse 2, the Lord responds. The Lord says to David, go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But there's a difficulty, as often there is in life, my brothers and sisters, because sometimes we know what we should do, but it's not straightforward. And maybe those individuals around us will raise a wee flag and say, hold on a wee second, you can't do that. It's a bit like Theresa May, isn't it? Brexit means Brexit. And somebody raises a red flag and says, and, but, but nobody knows what that means. Can't do that. And Geordie and Donald Hinch is worried about Eurovision, Theresa. She resigns tomorrow over the whole head of it. What do you do when, when someone stands up and says, slight problem, hold your horses there. You can't do that. David's men say to him in verse 3, Behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? Seriously, David, you, you want us to go down there to, to fight the Philistines? We're afraid up here. We're on the run up here. We've nowhere to look up here. And you want us to go and start another row? What does David do? Verse 4, he inquires of the Lord. And again in verse 4, the Lord answers him and says, Arise, go down to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines. For I, I give, I, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. Friends, I don't mean to preach a very simplistic sermon tonight, but it is indeed a very simplistic sermon. What do we do when the whole world seems to be against us? when we beware the Ides of March, when we are nervous about Brexit, meaning Brexit, or when we're stressed out about that situation we face, what do we do? We do exactly what Saul didn't do, but exactly what David does do. We inquire of the Lord. And friends, the Lord has never responded to any prayer that I have offered in such dramatic ways. I was thinking about that this week and pondering it and one of the commentaries I use on this series is written by a man called Dale Ralph Davis, and he puts it very simply, uh, that God has never spoken to him like that either, but then he does not have a place in saving history like David does. You and me, we are probably not going to get a dramatic response like this, but, but what do we do? We inquire of the Lord. What do we do? We sit under his word. Well, friends, tonight, deliberately, as we worked our way through the service, I, I, I wanted you to remember that what you heard read was the very word of God. We take that so incredibly for granted. John mentioned this morning about uh, Chinese believers getting a delivery of those Bibles, and if you've watched the video, it, it, it humbles you. It humbles you. What do they do when, when they see the Bible? They embrace it as if it is a treasure. And what do we do in Northern Ireland? Well, we maybe stick a verse or two up on a fence and we have a Bible in every pew, but probably we don't read it. It's there almost like a good luck charm, isn't it? It's there almost like a, 
wee, just a wee token. Hopefully, touch wood, fingers crossed, I've, I've got the Bible. I remember discovering that years and years ago in Portrush. A lot of my adventures in life are in Portrush. But I remember my dad took me up. Uh, we were going on holidays up there. And we would go up at sort of Easter time every year to book a bed and breakfast for the summer. And we went into this place, and, and suddenly my dad had moved from not sure, not sure, not sure, to a place where, yep, this is, this is the spot, this is the spot. And afterwards, he had signed up basically on the spot, and I said, well, what swung it? And he says, did you see the Bible in the front room? And I said, no, Dad, I didn't. Because there's a big Bible in the front room. He'll do me, he says. He'll do me. And we booked that wee apartment in Bath Terrace because there was a big Bible in the front room. At that stage, not one of us was a believer. Not one of us. Not one of us cared anything about the Bible, but its very presence in that room suggested something to my dad that was worth taking the checkbook out and booking two weeks and hours. But friends, this book that we have got is not this good luck charm. And if you've got one in the house, then yours is a, a wonderfully blessed house. You've got to open it for it to do you any good does David do in the face of this utter brutality and, and make no mistake David is outmanned and he is outgunned he is under pressure David is not going through this situation with a, a laissez-faire attitude that's French for something uh, that I'm not quite sure but David's not going through with this laissez-faire attitude he's under pressure and his men are under pressure and they are saying things to him like David how are we going to go and fight the Philistines? This is nuts. We can't do this. So what does David do with that pressure on him? He inquires of the Lord. He does it once, and then he does it twice, and the Lord very clearly directs, and the Lord says to him, David, go and fight. Go and save this place, because I am giving the Philistines into your hand. And friends, isn't it wonderful when that happens in our lives, when when we're sitting in church and we're not expecting very much because not much happens in church. And we come to church and we leave and suddenly something just makes sense. And why? Because God has spoken. Because God has spoken directly into our lives. And, and folks, that has happened. And, and people occasionally will say to me at the door, they will say, that was for me. That was for me. I can promise you, as I have in the past, that I have never written a sermon for any of you. I don't write sermons thinking, oh, this one, this is Brogan, this is for Brogan. This one's an Irish, this is for him. I don't do that. And if you've ever thought I'm getting at you on a Sunday, or if you've ever thought, oh, Scott must be saying that because he knows this, genuinely, I don't. And friends, if you've ever experienced that wonderful joy of sitting in this place and and suddenly something makes sense. Or suddenly there's courage where once there was fear. Or suddenly there's guidance and clarity where once there was just division in your mind. Praise God. For God has spoken. And you have heard him with ears that have been opened by the Holy Spirit. That's exactly what goes on here. David's under pressure. He doesn't have the resources to stand against Saul. He doesn't have the men. He's only got 600 with him. He doesn't have the weapons or, or anything that's going to see him as a success. But what he has got is this desire to come before the Lord and say, Father, what should I do? 
Lord speaks and says, David, go. Go and fight. Go and stand. And I will give you the victory. But not only does David have that word constantly spoken into his life after he has sought it out, but providentially the Lord has always moved for the good of his people. And in this situation we see it again in verse 6. Because just as there's blood running down the streets of the city of Nob, just as Saul has killed all around him, just as all seems lost, we read at the end of the last chapter that Abiathar, the priest, had escaped. And in verse 6, we read that Abiathar has appeared, and he is the son of Ahimelech, who is now dead at the hand of Saul. And he had fled to David, to Keilah, and he had come down with an ephod in his hand. And this was a garment that the great high priest would have worn. And just as Saul has killed all around him and left the priests lying dead in the street, so here is David inquiring of the Lord and having a great high priest minister to him. Abiathar comes with Ephah. Abiathar comes and, and, and ministers unto David. And in Exodus 28, we we get a glimpse of what the ephod is like. In Exodus 28 and 6 to 14, we read that the high priest shall, shall wear an ephod of gold, of blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and a fine twinned linen, skillfully worked. It shall have two shoulder pieces attached to its two edges, so it may be joined together. And the skillfully woven band on it shall be made like it, and be of one piece with it, of gold, blue, purple and scarlet and fine twisted linen. You shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel, six of their names on one stone and the names of the remaining six on the other stone in the order of their birth. And as a jeweler engraves signets, so shall you engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel and you shall enclose them in settings of gold filigree. And this image, this dress of the priest was was meant to cause the people to go, wow, look at that. That's, that's not something you wear down the street. Here's the high priest of the Lord. This is the man who, who goes on our behalf before the Lord once a year. This man deserves our respect. This man is the one who intercedes for us. And how does Saul respond to this man? By cutting his throat. How does David respond? By listening been ministered to. But David knows in verse 9 that Saul was plotting harm against him. And what does he say to Abiathar the priest? Bring the ephod here. Come and minister to me, he says. Come and, and speak to me. Come and lead me. Come and guide me. When, when Saul wants his life. My brothers and sisters, I suspect probably there's, there's nobody in our midst tonight that that is under threat of death. It's not too long ago in this land. Sure it's not, but that, that that was the case. I remember a relative of mine had to move out of a certain place and move to another place because he was a prison guard. He was under threat of his life. And, and we knew up in the house where his gun was, and he would show us it and explain it to us and all the rest of it. That's one relative in my family, and I'm sure you could tell stories like that. Most of us, thankfully, don't experience that anymore. But what do we do when we're stressed out? What do we do when, 
And we just don't know why someone despises us the way they do. We just don't understand that, that situation that seems to have developed and, and we're not sure how it happened or how it's worked out. What do we do? David says, Abiathar, come and minister. Bring the, bring the ephod. Bring the ephod. And he speaks to God in verse 10. He says, O Lord, the God of Israel, your servant has surely heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city on my account. Will the men of Keilah surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord, the God of Israel, please tell your servant. And again, the Lord speaks. And again, providentially, the Lord says, yes, he's coming. Verse 12, then David said, Will the men of Keilah surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And again, the Lord said, they will surrender you. Bring me for says David. And he speaks. And the high priest ministers. And the Lord says, David, these buddies in Keilah are going to throw you to the wolves. It's maybe how Lundy once felt up in Derry Stroke, London, Derry Stroke, Stroke, whatever. They'll come and they'll surrender you, David. And the Lord speaks words which maybe aren't of comfort, but they are words of knowledge. And providentially, the Lord says, get ready, my son. Get ready, because Saul will come, and Keilah will buckle. Get ready, and get out of here. And so David goes into the wilderness, and the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hand. Here is David, ministered to by the high priest. Here is David, guided by the Lord. And here is David, yes, on the run. But yes, every single day, protect him. Friends, that circumstance you're facing, that situation that will cause you not to sleep tonight, that difficulty that you have to under, endure and, and undergo and you don't see an end coming, but, but you know that situation, I pray this evening, in that situation, you will not come to me looking for an ephod. We don't do that anymore. Why not? Because we, as Paul says in Hebrews 4, have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, and because we have him, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And so in verse 16 of Hebrews 4, Paul urges us, inspired by the Spirit, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. How many of us do that? How many of us adopt this posture and this approach in, in times of need? We've already prayed tonight for Ballant and Emma. And I always remember when Valent was in for the church in Cushanto. Uh, he, he knew that it was going to be tight. He, he was going to struggle to get it. And why? Well, because the Reformed Church in Romania, stroke Hungary, have got bishops. And the local bishop was a bit corrupt. And the local bishop had lined up his nephew to go into this church. And the local bishop wanted his nephew in place. And the local bishop was putting pressure on the people to accept his nephew, to give him a wee job and a wee pat in the back. Who can stand against the local bishop? 
Follett was worried. Follett was concerned. He probably wasn't going to get that church, but to pray anyway. And so pray we did, and the news came in that the people themselves said to the local bishop, we don't want your nephew, we want Follett. And the rest, as they say, is history. Have things been amazing in Kashanto? No. There have been highs and a great many lows. Are things wonderful tonight? Are they saying hundreds of people in the village come to faith? No, they're not. Big, big struggles in Kashanto. But when Balan goes back to those days where he was standing against the bishop, he remembers that the Lord is faithful and the Lord is providential. And I know John soon, I hope, will experience that. When you're looking for a church and when you've got the words of the head office ringing in your ears that you're not called until you're called and all these churches come and all these churches go and they never call you and when you look at the back of the herald and there's a big list of churches that should have come out to hear you preaching and they haven't bothered their backsides and, and you hear from your buddies who oh, were right to hear me 17 times and you think what's wrong with me? will know and you will understand and we will pray this I hope for John and Olivia when the Lord wants you in a place and you will be in that place and I remember Dr. John Lockington telling us as students one time he says when, when you get your call papers and when you see all the names on that wee sheet signed up to call you as a minister he says hold on to that because there will be low times when that's all you've got when you look out in the Sunday and all you see is clampets not speaking from experience here. But when you look out in other churches and all you see is clampets, the Lord has brought you here. And so John, and you folks, I pray in the days to come you will know the providential care of the Lord. You will hear him speaking as he directs to you his word every Sunday and, and throughout the course of the week. When you sit under a sermon and you think, wow, that's for me. Scott did everything there except name me by name. That's for me. And you have those wonderful experiences in your life. I pray that you will remember this is how the Lord cares for us. And friends, we need not fear the eyes of March. We need not stress, even if the whole army of Bald Hinch were, were signed up against us, we need not panic. And why not? Because not a single hair falls from our head without the will of the Lord. God did not give David into the hand of Saul. And Saul had clampets on every side giving him help. As Saul pursues David in the final verses of the chapter, the men of Ziph come and they say, we know where David is. We have seen him. We saw him in B&M. If you want to get him, get down there now. We know where David is. And you can imagine if you're David hearing this, can't you? You're under pressure, you're under stress, and you, you think, well, we'll hide out here, and hopefully Saul will not find us. And guess what? The very people you've gone to help run to Saul and say, we know where he is. We'll get him. We'll get him. And then you come down and leave us alone. And, and is not the reality sometimes? Sometimes the people that you would love to be on your side, you think should be on your side, they're the people that stick the boot in think, Lord, how's this fair? How's this right? How am I going to stand? In moments like that, the Lord speaks, but also in moments like that, the Lord's people give us comfort. 
David was under this pressure that people as if were selling him out. And who comes down? Who comes to minister? Jonathan. Saul's son in verse 16. He comes. Unlikely Jonathan. It's, it's not unlikely in the sense that, that these guys love each other. They're buddies. They're best friends. And, and Jonathan is firmly on David's side. But it's, it's unlikely in this situation because Jonathan puts himself at risk. He goes down to speak to David. And he, verse 16, strengthens his hand in God. Friends, see when it comes to it. Be that guy. Be the believer in this church who strengthens the hand of other believers. Don't be the one who, who passes on the gossip. Don't be the one who, who takes no part. See, when you're hearing someone slagging off someone else and you say, well, I'm just staying out of it, don't stay out of it. Call them out and challenge such nonsense behavior and draw near to those under pressure and strengthen their hand. And how do we do it? By bringing the word. Jonathan comes and he says, David, do not fear. For the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows that. So Jonathan doesn't come and, and says, you know, oh, David, it'll be all right in the morning. Don't, don't worry about it. I'm sure it's going to be okay. Why don't you get yourself on Amazon? Do a wee bit of shopping, a wee bit of retail therapy. It's not that. Jonathan comes and speaks the word. Jonathan again ministers the word. And friends, that for me is so vitally important in the life of our church. The ministry of the word constantly into our lives. Friends, it, it breaks my heart that there are individuals related to Eden Grove Presbyterian Church who the last time I seen them here on a Sunday morning was the, the Sunday that I preached for this church. Well, not name names, but, but genuinely it's the last time I saw them in this place. Eleven years ago. And you think, well, they're, oh, they're good people, Scott. They're Christian men and women. Are they? They despise the word. They despise it. And I don't say that with lightness, but my friends, if you find in your life that you can do without being here on a regular basis, there's something seriously wrong with the condition of your soul. The man or woman of God will be strengthened by the word of God, preached regularly in the house of God. The man or woman of God will be strengthened by the word of God as it is brought to them by the people of God. The man or woman of God will be strengthened by the word of God as they, they sit in the good days and the bad days under the sound of the word of God. And friends, I urge that for you. I, I don't know the situation you're facing. It might be something intensely private. It, it might be something that's been around your life for about 20 years. It might be something of great guilt or great shame, great heartache, great, great abuse that's gone on in your life. And I don't mean to make it sound so trivial. But I am confident that no matter what we face, whether it is the hand of an anti-Christian king or force, whether it is the betrayal of the men of Ziph who say, come with us, we know where he's hiding, or whether it's just the everyday routine of life which is just beating the trite clean out of you, I am sure and I am confident 
that a heavy dose of the Word of God would do you the world of good. The Lord and His Word shows us that He is for us. And David, in a wonderful way, sees that as this passage ends because Saul comes down at the urging of the men of Ziph. He's on one side of the mountain, David on the other side of the mountain, verse 26. It's, it's coming to a close. David's going to get caught. He's going to get killed. Saul's the winner. It's all over. But what happens? Providentially, verse 7, 27, a messenger comes to Saul and says, Hurry and come, for the Philistines have made a raid against the land. And you think, is God's hand in this? Absolutely. Brothers and sisters, we trust the God tonight who who even uses the schemes of the wicked to bring about good for his people. The Philistines come on a raid and it forces Saul to turn away. And what happens? David goes free. Providentially, David is protected. Providentially, the Lord looks after his every single step. And friends, I urge you in the days to come to be much in rejoicing. When the phone goes, and you think, oh, I didn't see that coming. But that changes the dynamic. When the friend bumps into you and you haven't seen them in 15 years, but they, they bring an encouragement from the Lord's word and, and they speak to your soul and you think, you know what? If I hadn't gone for a coffee in that afternoon and bumped into that person in that place, folks, this is not random. The Lord is for you and the Lord providentially is ministering into your life. The Lord is speaking into it this very hour. And providentially, you're meant to be here tonight. Providentially, you're meant to be exactly in this place. And maybe you weren't going to come. Maybe you thought tonight, oh, I'm not really doing the whole David thing. Don't, don't get that. Don't, don't like that. Or maybe you, you know, could have been some other church or slam on the sofa. Olive Jones, is he still a thing? Is he still on songs of praise? If you nod and you know, then shame on you. You shouldn't be watching that. But providentially, for whatever reason, you're here. And I hope and I pray that providentially, you were here to hear not from the preacher, but to hear from the Lord, who speaks into your disaster of a life and says, do not fear. I'm not going to give you into the hands of your enemy. Do not fear. I'm going to order your life and your Monday and your Tuesday in a way that is going to bring glory to my name and an easing to your soul. Do not fear. My brothers and sisters, will you hear that message tonight? Will you rest in the Lord tonight? Will you seek him out and listen to his voice? the midst of your mess? I hope so. I really do. And I hope as well that providentially, if you've come here in a mess without Christ, that soon you'll leave here, maybe still in a mess, but with Christ. Because providentially, I offer him to you in the gospel, and providentially, I say to you, he is our great high priest and savior of sinners. Tonight, if you are on the run from Jesus, then stop running. For he wants nothing but your good and your salvation. As I thank God tonight.
for his words. And I pray that in the days to come, we will see it working in our lives.